Welcome to the Philosophy of Now podcast from Roots Media. In this podcast, we speak with thought leaders about their philosophy on life that doesn't merely define them in their past or doesn't come for their ambitions in the future, but is their life mantra at every moment, ever present in their now. So join us on a journey of questions and deep thought that ultimately lead to one question that truly matters. What is their philosophy of now? And in the process of listening, maybe we'll introspect and we will meditate or even stumble upon our own. In today's episode, we speak with Ramesh Vardas, the close friend of renowned spiritual teacher Ramdas and the disciple of the respected Indian guru and saint Neem Karoli Baba. A writer and artist himself, he guides us closely through his spiritual journey. He speaks about his closest moments with his guru, the most intimate stories with Ramdas, and co-authoring the latest book, Being Ramdas, about the spiritual leader's honest memoir. The book comes out on July 6th in India, available on Amazon. In the process of learning about these deep, eye-opening moments, and Ramesh Radas's spiritual life lessons from his guru, we ultimately come to the answer to the question, what is Ramesh Radas's philosophy of now? So uh, thank you, sir, for joining us today on the Philosophy of Now podcast. Um, we wanted to get started uh, by talking about uh, we will eventually get to the book, obviously, and your experiences with Neem Karoli Baba and Ramdas himself. But we we wanted to really start off with your personal journey and um, background, um, specifically because in the book, uh, Ramdas's childhood and upbringing is highlighted as almost a uh, contrast to his later internal life. And mm. those experiences really build him as a person and drive him in um, the direction that, you know, he, that really motivated his whole life. So what, what was your upbringing and childhood like? Was it similar? Was it uh, totally in contrast to that? And did, did you relate to that um, in any way? Um, I guess it was not uh, so dissimilar. Um, I grew up in, uh, around New York and he grew up in Boston and, there was that, you know, slight contrast. And uh, um, New Yorkers have always been in competition with people from Boston. <laughs> but like the Yankees and the Red Sox kind of thing. But um, I was, I also uh, came from a family that was of uh, Jewish background. But uh, my family uh, had uh, left its religious roots behind uh, uh, probably a generation before his. So that um, I was brought up, um, I, I did go to a kind of a, um, a Sunday school, but it was um, much more um, um, a kind of uh, agnostic, and uh, I I never went through the whole bar mitzvah thing that he did, and uh, 
So um, my background, I think, was um, um, more, um, you know, growing up in the 60s, whereas he was already, uh, you know, he was, uh, what, 16 years older than me. So he's a generation ahead. And um, I think that made a, a lot of difference in our uh, outlook on things. Um, and uh, I grew up in the whole Vietnam War uh, era in the 60s in the US. So um, um, I got uh, drafted, uh, you know, called up for the army um, as soon as I graduated from university. And uh, in, um, my father had wanted me to go to law school, and instead I uh, went to see uh, Neem Karoli Baba in India. <laughs> so uh, there were some similarities, you know, in our conflicts with our uh, families that way, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was interested in many of the same uh, the things that Ramdas was, but I, I certainly got to them in uh, different ways than uh, he did. But some of those uh, early experiences, I think, really colored my view of um, reality a lot also. And um, whereas he was involved in uh, music from a very young age, I was quite involved in uh, uh, visual arts. And uh, I started out uh, uh, painting and ended up as a photographer. So um, we kind of came at some of the same things from different angles. Yeah. And like, just, just to give a little bit of background, um, we had the initial um, podcast with Krishna Das. Um, and then with you, just from my own personal um, life kind of story, after I graduated, um, after me and Raga went to college together, mm -hmm. and um, after we graduated, um, I would listen to uh, Ramdas's podcast on my way to work every mm -hmm. day, on the way to and from. And I devoured probably like, I don't know, hundreds of them um, over, over, over some, like oh, during those commutes. And um, I would say that, you know, and then I came into contact with other work that, um, you know, kind of the whole team has done in, in a sense, right? Like mm. Ramdas, Krishna Das, yourself. Um, I read Polishing the Mirror, obviously being Ramdas that just came out. Bhagwan Das. Um, sorry? Bhagwan Das as well. Bhagwan Das, yeah. And um, yeah. the Have everything. Have you met any of these folks in, in person or? Did I meet anyone? I have not actually. Okay. Um, and are you in, uh, you're also in uh, East Coast, New York? Yeah, so we're in New Jersey, both of us. Uh -huh. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would say, like, one of the most meaningful ways in which you guys have influenced my life is, like, as a young person um, who has, like, a background in spiritual thought, Eastern thought, like, all, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, the foundation is there. I grew up in that foundation. Yeah. Um, You're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and and what, what you guys provided me, like, you know, we're Indian 
kids, right? Like, but second, like first gen in America, right? Our yeah. parents moved here. We were born here, grew up here, um, had the foundation, right? And, but what you guys provided and like something, you know, I just like would like to express my gratitude is that you guys are very transparent and vulnerable in the way you, you talk about what you've been through and like, you know, like the, the minute details of like, showing like you know vulnerable moments where that's not and it's not so common actually especially um in india it's not common um like where where the teacher talks about their own flaws not only india and how they and how they grappled with them and then how they overcame and all that stuff it's not only not common in india it's just not common in spiritual folk because it's almost like this um yeah, like we're supposed ta- to be holy or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, but I would say like the most teachable things that I've learned have come from um, a lot of that um, that vulnerability. Mm. So um, just want to express my gratitude in that sense. Yeah. And, and, and to me, I, besides the vulnerability, the thing that inspires mm. me about uh, people like you and Ram Das and Krishna Das is, you're obviously so influenced by um, the lives of people like Neem Karoli Baba living in India, living in the ashram, but then you've also come back to the West and live a life here based in those principles, propagating them to the folk who live here. And to me, that that's almost like a like a reminder and a in a in a you know roll call as to like what am I doing with my life because I'm living here. I've been inspired by the same principles, but am I giving it my all as much as you have? So I want to second that gratitude. Thank you. Um, you know, it's it's uh, interesting because Ramdas is such a, a a bridge or was between those uh, cultures. And it, it almost seemed like, you know, with his... Uh, training in psychology and then the psychedelic work and um, um, his um, infusion in the ashram in uh, uh, Nainital, that um, he w- it was almost like a setup that he was uh, equipped with, uh, you know, the, the right uh, skills for translating all this. <laughs> Both for Westerners and for, you know, guys like you who are, um, um, in a sense, transplanted into this culture. And, yeah. um, you know, it. I, I love that the book is now coming out in India. It's like full circle. Wow. You know, it's, it's really like... Uh, um, one, one of the uh, aspects that... Um, I love the most about uh, Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba's teaching is the kind of sense of uh, cosmic humor that comes around from, uh, you know, it's like you you think that you have uh, a handle on it and then it's all completely different. And he kept saying to us all the time, uh, you know, his main teaching was sabek, it's all one. And uh, this uh, extended family of uh, India and uh, USA and all over the place is really uh, just um, 
especially during the pandemic, has become such a sustaining um, environment for uh, for me. Anyway, I'm just speaking mm -hmm. for myself. It's it's felt very nourishing and uh, warm, and as if our network is extending. And um, that that network is is just this sort of, um, I think, feeling of affection that we all share together from uh, um, enjoying that feeling of uh, devotion together. So would you say the pandemic has, um, obviously it's not the most appropriate to call the pandemic fortunate, but has it, um, as you were highlighting- It's a great time to work on a book. <laughs> <laughs> So what did it do for your internal life and introspection in, in the, the pandemic? Um, I, you know, it, it's been uh, frightening and saddening to see the uh, degree of suffering that has uh, gone on all around us. And at the same time, uh, on a personal level, it's been very uh, helpful for my own practice. Um, I was uh, started out, uh, um, oh, about three years ago, I started leading a very small meditation circle at the local yoga studio where my wife teaches yoga. Mm. And, um, you know, there would be five or six people. And in the winter, maybe there were only one or two sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> me and maybe one other person and we'd go out for coffee afterwards and um and um now i'm doing it on zoom and uh, there are um people from florida and the west coast and uh it, it's not still not a big deal but it's um just a, a very uh wonderful um uh, circle that has opened up and uh, there are even people from UK occasionally and wow. you know it's, it's the time doesn't quite work for uh, India because it's <laughs> it would be uh, a little well it probably could it's a little late in the evening there I guess um, but um, it's been very good for me because uh, it's made me um, I, I was traveling a lot and going to see Ramdas out in Maui from New York, which is, you know, is a long haul. Yeah. And I was doing that, uh, you know, several times a year. Um, and um, now I'm just sitting three times a week. At, I mean, at least three times a week, but that's when I'm doing, you know, I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 7.30 in the morning, I'm sitting on my cushion. Nice. <laughs> And that's good. It's been good for me to uh, have that uh, structure, I guess, in a way. And and it's very curious the way time has changed in this uh, pandemic time. Just um, the regularity and the uh, monotony, in a way, <laughs> of, of being, you know, sequestered. And... Um, at the same time, I, I have felt, uh, you know, very blessed by aspects of it, too. Yeah. So 
I mean, you mentioned how the pandemic has kind of given you some structure and regularity and made you highlight some things that are personal to you, whether it's your wife's yoga class or you teaching um, mm -hmm. meditation on Zoom. I want to bring that back to something you'd said was really close to you um, when you'd highlighted how Ramdas was attached to music and you said visual art was something mm -hmm. that was a very active part of your life. Now, did that play a role in um, expressing your yourself at a young age and how did that change once you went to India and were inspired by the spirituality? Um, yeah, I mean, I was doing things. I started painting when I was a teenager and um, I was, um, uh, and then I got into photography when I was in uh, university, um, mostly because I was doing these kind of black and white paintings and I decided that this might work better with a camera. And uh, I, I ended up doing photography. And for years I was uh, doing freelance work and uh, started working for the local paper and I was a stringer for the Times and you know I did, did all kinds of stuff, everything from food photography to aerials. And uh, it was fun. And did you meet um, Ram Das after undergrad or when you were still a student? Yeah, I met him when I was a student. I was, uh, I think, a uh, uh, junior in uh, university. And it turned out I went to the university where he had done his master's degree in psychology. Wesleyan, right? Wesleyan, yeah. yeah, which I had no idea of, of course. And um, um, I see a, a notice for a talk by Richard Alpert, um, who was still pretty well known as uh, Timothy Leary's sidekick from Harvard and the psychedelic uh, work. And um, this is a kind of March in, you know, Connecticut frozen mud. And uh, um, this guy walks in in a white dress, um, barefoot with a long beard. And he did not look like a former Harvard professor. <laughs> <laughs> and he had just returned from six months at the ashram in uh, the Himalayas. And it was the first talk that he gave. Wow. And he had been, basically, he uh, had been on silence for all that time because uh, there was hardly anyone in the ashram who spoke English. And um, he was had been very isolated and very inward. And there was a, a lot of um, Shakti from that time. I, that's all I can, uh, he had a lot of energy. And uh, he started talking at, uh, it was in kind of a student lounge where people were sprawled out on couches and such. And he spoke until three or three thirty in the morning. Wow! Wow! And um, after a while, someone had turned out the lights, and there was just his voice coming across. And as you know, his voice had some uh, resonance. <laughs> He's a good storyteller. Yeah. <laughs> um. And um, after a while, uh, um, you know, people were just asking questions. And so um, I, I went to see him after that, and he taught me uh, 
the yoga and meditation that he had learned in uh, in India, and uh, it, that was the beginning of my, you know, kind of more formal uh, entry into sadhana of some kind. And uh, it was a, a very, uh, you know, I mean the the uh, time itself was pretty uh, chaotic. Um, we just watched the movie of the trial of the Chicago Seven last night. And Great movie. Yeah, it is. But I, you know, I I remember living through that time, and it was crazy. Wow. You know, there was a lot going on, and as soon as I graduated from uh, college, I got drafted. Oh. So my, you know, either I was going to uh, Vietnam or I was going to go on pilgrimage to India. <laughs> 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 and um, I did my utmost to uh, uh, make sure it was India and not Vietnam. And I, I got out of the draft with a, a, a psychological discharge, which I worked on pretty hard. <laughs> and then what was it? I guess what was that whole experience like? Like I know you said you could have gone to law school mm -hmm. or that was, I guess, at least potential and then you know choosing to go to india kind of taking that leap of faith and deciding like you know like there's a normal way of doing things right you go to college you you know set up your career like that's like you know probably like the way most people are trained or think that they should live out their life how did you grapple with you know structuring your life you know I guess right before you went to India and then going to India, have, having whatever happened there happen and then figuring out what you were going to do afterwards. Um, I think some of my early experience kind of uh, um, ruined me for that career path right off. And uh, I mean, some years before I met Ramdas, I think in my maybe I was sixteen or seventeen, and uh, I remember sitting by the uh, I was just kind of sitting by the ocean, and uh, I, I knew nothing about yoga or meditation, and I started doing sort of deep breathing, and something happened. Uh, that's all I can say that it was like one of those experiences where the horizon sort of opens up and you go from being the center of the universe to, uh, you know, grain of sand on the beach. Oh, my wife's doing things upstairs. <laughs> Background noise isn't messing up. Um, but at, at that uh, point, it was a, one of those uh, early expansions of awareness and, and something changed. And as with uh, Ramdas, he had these sort of inflection points in his journey. And I think we all have that. You know, there are openings that occur that um, make you realize that uh, things are not the way you thought they were. And you, and as Ramdas often says, uh, you're not who you think you are. The thought, the, you know, the self conceptions and the thoughts are are uh, not who you are. 
they're part of who you are, but uh, they are not the whole ball of wax, as they say. <laughs> and uh, that, um, you know, propelled me into looking into uh, um, Chinese and Buddhist philosophy when I got to university. And it also, I think, was a part of the motivating uh, thing behind my artwork. And then uh, uh, trying psychedelics myself before I met Ramdas, and um, those were openings also. And um, you know, both joyful and chaotic, and um, um, exploratory. You know, I was really searching in that sense, and I think that was. Um, you know, very much the mode for a lot of people at that time, and probably is now too. I don't. I don't think there are. You know, we were exceptional, particularly. But um, um, I felt once I had met Ramdas, and especially once I saw Neem Karoli Baba, I felt like um, I could. Uh, let go more and let things happen rather than trying to make them happen so much. And that's, I think, you know, in the bhakti tradition is more that sort of place of surrender. So that when you'd gone to India and experienced the surrender and kind of felt this wave of being here now, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word, uh, how, how did you realize or come to the understanding that you wanted to come back here and have your role responsibilities and work done here? Because the, the, the story often can also unravel itself to be that the person goes to India or goes to a spiritual guide and kind of just stays there. Mm -hmm. um, I but, might have stayed there. Oh. <laughs> I got, I got kicked out. <laughs> well, you know, as Americans, we had to get visas for India. Mm -hmm. If you were from UK, you were, you know, you were in, or yeah. Canada even. But um, I went on a, um, a three-month tourist visa, which you could renew for another three months. So that was six months. And then uh, I applied for a... Um, one-year student visa, which you're not even allowed to do, but uh, this was before uh, India got computerized. So uh, we were taking uh, meditation courses out in uh, Bodh Gaya, mm. which is, you know, pretty far from the uh, uh, central files in Delhi. <laughs> At that time it was. I mean, now it's all interconnected, but... Uh, so um, the um, one of the monks where we were staying at this uh, Burmese vihara in Bodh Gaya helped us apply. He knew somebody in the foreign registration office in Gaya and helped us get uh, in an application. They stamped the application, you know, uh, application accepted. And that was good for a year. And then <laughs> I had to... <laughs> figure something else out because, uh, you know, that had expired. And uh, um, 
Maharaji sent us to see uh, uh, someone in the foreign registration office in Delhi at that point. And um, he had devotees like uh, Indira Gandhi's secretary was a devotee. Oh, wow. So I, all he had to do was like, you know, write a three word note. And it you know, we were, we would, it would reach that. the prime minister of India. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't uh, have been a difficult thing, but he sent us to this uh, kind of lower level bureaucrat who uh, said, no, nothing we can do. Um, and uh, you have to leave. And um, uh, other people like Krishnadas were uh, a little more creative. He was not leaving. <laughs> and, uh, he, um, I don't remember exactly what he did, but he managed to uh, get an extension on his visa. But Ramdas and a number of other people and myself uh, got what's called a quit India notice, <laughs> which means you better go or we're never letting you back in. Wow. So um, I left and it was very, uh, you know, it was sort of a graceful, um, uh, exit in a sense. Um, I met my parents in Japan. And um, I hadn't seen them for a year and a half. And we had this very sweet reunion. And as you might guess, since my father wanted me to go to law school, and I went to India it was we had some conflicts. Mm. Yeah. And um, but we had this very sweet reunion in Japan and we traveled together for a couple of weeks and we went back to the States together. And um, I um, kind of had a, a pretty quiet life when I got back. I, you know, just started doing photography and painting again and kind of keeping a low profile. And then um, let's see about, um, Seven months after I came back to the States, my father died. And if I had not come back then, and if I hadn't had that time with him, I, I think I would have felt, uh, you know, it would have been a, a, a painful loss. And as it was, I felt like I had really uh, completed my karma in some way. I mean, we'd really come back into a very loving place together. And that, that to me was a great blessing from Maharaji. That because it all sort of, you know, they had planned this trip and it coincided with my getting kicked out of India. So I met them and we had this time and space together that um, would never have happened if I had just come back to the US and, you know, they'd had their regular life going on. Right. So, so there were things like that, that, you know, sort of. Yeah. Um, when, when you were in India, Good. I'm just curious, like, I feel like I read this in the book, um, being around us, that you guys didn't actually have tons of one-on-one -on -one time with Neem Karoli Baba. Is that correct? Yeah. No, I mean, it was mostly in, um, you know, um, there were was sort of a small group of Westerners when I first got there, very small, I mean, five or six. And, um, but um, 
he wouldn't let us even come every day. I mean, he would say, you know, go back to the hotel in Nainital and come back on Thursday or something like that. And uh, we were very much into, you know, following all his instructions at that point. And then he would pull a fast one like, uh, you know, um, at one point um, some friends came through and um, we got a, a telegram after they'd left. And um, Maharaji immediately knew, of course. And uh, he said, um, you got a telegram? What did it say? And we said, well, it said, uh, must come, must see Baba under the clock tower in Missouri. And he said, go to Missouri. <laughs> come back on November 20th. So, uh, you know, we were good devotees and we went to Missouri and we saw this uh, um, sweet Baba, although he thought the CID was after him. <laughs> he was a little crazy. <laughs> and we we had no desire to be anywhere but at Maharaji's feet. And then November 20th, we came back to Kenshi to see Maharaji, and um, he had left, and no forwarding address. We had no idea where he was. Wow. And we didn't see him again for uh, November, it's for two and a half months. Jeez. And in that time, uh, Ramdas came back to India. That was when he came back the second time. And since we couldn't find Maharaji and either uh, the other devotees either wouldn't tell us or didn't know where he was, uh, we went off and did uh, Vipassana courses at that time in Bodh Gaya and studied with a teacher named Gawenka, who was a kind of wonderful Buddhist teacher. But... Uh, and and then uh, we there's this uh, bus story which you probably read and we got on the bus and we're on our way to uh, Delhi and stopped in uh, the Mela ground in Allahabad and uh, I was the one who saw Maharaji standing by the side of the road and I uh, <laughs> I yelled stop the bus <laughs> he's standing there sort of looking bored waiting for us <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, it was like living in a magical reality. Yeah. So when, once you came back here and you said you lived kind of a quiet life, what kind of ignited the torch to say, okay, I want to dedicate my life to this or spend some more time with people who have been close to him and serve in that manner? I, I was not uh, that level of idealism at any moment that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> we we enjoyed hanging out together because we would tell stories and it brought Maharaji's presence to us. Mm. And it was satsang. It's, it's that feeling of family and warmth and, you know, of, of, of a shared uh, um, place in the heart together. And... Um, you know, I mean, he'd given me a, a name as a, a Rameshwar Das, so I'm in the servant class. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Um, so I was trying to figure that out. And, um, um, you know, eventually it kind of grew on me. And I did some uh, environmental work um, and uh, um, was continuing, you know, mostly to work on myself in one way or another. And, and uh, uh, I went out to be with Ramdas at the first summer at uh, Naropa and uh, Boulder when he taught a, a course on the Bhagavad Gita. And, uh, I went back and forth to India a number of times. I went to a Kumbh Mela in uh, 1974, and I've, I've been thinking about it, you know, because I had that experience at the Mela in, in Haridwar, which is where this current one uh, has happened, which is now, you know, a Maha super spreader event of. Yep. <laughs> I couldn't believe they were doing that. <laughs> anyway, it's been a you know a journey, and and I feel like uh, Krishnanath has a great uh, analogy of uh, getting on a train, and um, the train's going one direction, and you're running as fast as you can in the other direction on the train, which uh, you know are all of my uh, normal sort of habits of uh, life and, you know, just personality traits, some of which aren't so great. And uh, yet the train is going to the destination and you're on it. So nothing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, the spiritual path. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I guess what, what happened, like, I guess, how did things unfold? Did you do work with um, like the Hanuman Foundation, like and, and things like that? Yeah, um, I did some things with Hanuman Foundation. Um, I I did work with Seva Foundation, which is Larry Brilliant's mm. uh, right the uh, work on uh, blindness and. Um, I traveled to India a couple of times, uh, photographing for them primarily, mm. and. Uh, uh, met some really wonderful people that way, yeah. and uh, oh, we got involved with this uh, uh, teacher in uh, uh, Brooklyn, who you read about probably. It was, it was called Joya. Joya, Joya, yes. Yeah, she was quite a uh, a trip. Also, <laughs> <laughs> she was a, uh, went to a, a yoga class in uh, Brooklyn and kind of went into samadhi, which I don't think was on the program for the yoga class. But uh, and um, she uh, started uh, teaching, and she uh, Ramdas went to see her, and others of us went to see her, and she claimed to have, you know, some. A connection with uh, Maharaji who had died, uh, you know, recently. So we were still like trying to find our way with that also. That that was a, a, a bit of a shock when he left his body. That was unexpected. Mm -hmm. I mean, I there was some sense that he would always be there. 
And he is always here, but he's not in a body anymore. Mm. And, uh, you know, a bunch of us went back to India on a charter flight and uh, um, saw a pile of ashes. Wow. When when you spent time here with uh, Ramdas, and one thing that always intrigues the reader, and particularly me, about any biography, autobiography, is just the level of vulnerability. I think it takes a lot of clarity, courage, and um, unselfishness to just hear my flaws. Here, here is my the the worst part of my inner workings. Mm. Um, where, where do you think that comes from for people like Ramdas or any any other you know uh, seeker who's been this vulnerable at a public level? Well, I think with Ramdas particularly, partly that came from his uh, uh, psychology training. He was a, uh, you know, a, a, first of all, he had some very painful parts of his own up, uh, upbringing, and he was dealing with his uh, um, homosexuality or bisexuality or whatever you want to call it, which was... Uh, not something you could be open about when he was growing up. And yeah. especially when he got into academia, it was like, you know, you, you want to end your career in academia, come out of the closet. Wow. Um, so he, w he was, um, he knew that pain. And I think it really gave him some empathy for other people's pain. And he also, uh, you know, was able to look at himself and kind of uh, um, see the humor in his own, what he used to call his predicament. And, uh, you know, he shared that predicament with other people. And it, I think he, he really had a sense of the uh, um, absurdity of our human situation so much. And it, it allowed him to... Uh, laugh about it in himself and you know to laugh at it with others not at others so much but yeah. you know, it was it and that that really kind of lightens the load mm. but he also you know really saw it as a uh, as a therapist does and when you're looking at things that way you you see uh, and especially with the perspective of the uh, you know Patanjali say you know you you see the desire system and the ways that it uh, entraps you in in your own uh, wants and needs or uh, likes and dislikes and the thoughts and emotions that uh, arise from all that and uh, you know we're all carrying that it's not it's just human situation it's being one of the uh alternate titles for being ramdas was going to be ramdas and incarnation hmm. and you know it it he saw his lifetime as a lifetime not as my lifetime 
you know, it was it was interesting. And I, I love there's one page of the photographs. I think it's the maybe the first page of photographs in the book that uh, is uh, a progression of photographs of Ramdas from uh, uh, a young child, maybe he's three years old with curly hair to uh, uh, just before he died. And there's about a, a dozen or 15 photographs on that page. And it's like, uh, you know, you see that um, um, movement of a lifetime. And we're all in the middle of that, you know, and, and uh, I'm uh, closer to the end of it than you are, but it, it doesn't take long. Let me tell you, it goes by fast. What you're saying uh, reminds me of the uh, often frequently used imagery from the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita when you see like mm -hmm. the child grow up, yeah. grow old, and then it just repeats in a cycle. Yeah. That, I think that perspective of uh, karma and reincarnation is, is very helpful and it's really has been missing in the, in Western culture. Hmm. And it, it, apparently it was in the Christian church uh, early on and then it got thrown out in the, um, one of those councils, Council of Trent or something like that. And they decided it was too threatening to the uh, hierarchy of the church. So they just dumped that doctrine. And, uh, but it, I think that perspective and, um, you know, releases something for all of us too. Yeah. Lightens the load when um, you can maybe get the uh, an inkling that this isn't the only round, and you've been doing it for a long time, and you're not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What is um. This is me switching gears a little bit, but like, I'm just curious to know, like, as you know, you, I guess, co-wrote these books with Ramdas, right? Yeah. I, I wrote books with him after his stroke. I mean, before that, he was doing it himself. Oh, okay. Got it. Then what was that process like? Um, it was very, I, you know, people have said, well, you know, you wrote the book, right? And I, I didn't. It was very collaborative and uh, it was slow. And this book took uh, most of 10 years. And um, we would uh, write stuff. I think I started out uh, recording our talks and transcribing them. And eventually because of his aphasia, I realized that I could uh, type into the laptop as pretty much as fast as he was talking because he spoke slowly. Um, and then I would read things back to him and he would uh, comment on them or tell me that wasn't right or uh, yeah, and, and he would go into more detail about one part or another. And there were some things that he had, you know, talked about or written about uh, previously, like the moment that he met Maharaji that we really just went into more and more detail about, and he really reflected on what had happened. For instance, uh, in that meeting with Maharaji, he originally felt like he had been 
blown away by Maharaji's psychic power of telling him about his mother's death, which there was no way he could have known about. And yet, as time passed, he realized that it was that moment when he saw Maharaji's unconditional love and complete acceptance of all of his stuff, all of his faults and his entire being and, you know, all the things that he was ashamed of. And he knew that Maharaji knew them because he knew all this other stuff. So why wouldn't he know that too? And yet there was this uh, just uh, overwhelming love coming his way. Mm -hmm. and, and that became the dominant part. So that was, uh, you know, the kind of shift that we tried to really uh, trace because those were the big uh, shifts in his lifetime, for instance, uh, you know, from power to love. Right. Yeah. And like, I guess you, you spent a lot of time with Ram Dass, and I'm just curious to know, like, what your personal reflections are about the person. Um. He was a risk taker. He really pushed his own boundaries. Um, he had a really uh, great sense of humor, sometimes a little uh, biting. <laughs> and, uh, and and he he evolved over that time that I knew him. I mean, when uh, I first met him, he was really. Um, talking about um, states and levels of consciousness. Right. And toward the end, he was just absorbed in love. It was like he was radiating love. And th that was a real uh, a transformation. And I think one that, um, um, you know, people were coming to retreats on Hawaii for about the 10 years or so that that was happening, 10, 15 years. And um, it, it was just like a healing experience being in that bath of love. And it was, that's what uh, um, I experienced around Maharaji. It was like, and and uh, there was a, a wonderful woman in India named Siddhima who ran the ashram in after Maharaji's uh, passing, and she had become so devoted to Maharaji that she virtually, I think, became absorbed in him and became him in some female, you know, motherly mm -hmm. yeah. version, and. Um, that that was somewhat what was happening with uh, Ramdas. Also, he was transforming, and it's what's happening to all of us. That you know, at our own, you know, in my my own glacial pace. <laughs> so, do do you find the evolution and transformation of uh, characters like that um, inspirational for your personal growth and evolution? Sure. You know, someone who uh, radiates love to other people, that, that is the transmission. Hmm. That, that's the, uh, um, 
what allows you to uh, merge into the oneness of the spirit or the Atman or um, mm. whatever you want to call it. And it's probably better not to call it anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But that that's the real juice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're all working on that. And sometimes we get distracted by, you know, all of the uh, um, conceptualizing about it. Absolutely. I do anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you do, we do. <laughs> um we, we usually ask all our guests one final question but just to preface um the actual question we i guess it's an homage to be here now uncircumstantially but the the philosophy of now podcast that the final question really highlights the individual's current um mantra or mindset that drives their um, action in some sort. And it is the reason for your uh, work, uh, your personal practice, whatever it may be. It doesn't necessarily have to be one such principle or mantra, but is there such an idea that you can call is your philosophy of now? don't know <laughs> i i am living in the great i don't know <laughs> and it's not up to me anymore mm. um you know i and that's that's just the truth i don't i really don't understand much and i'm understanding less as i go along and that's not a bad thing Mm -hmm. um, and that um, there's a was a teacher named Mayor Baba, you know who that is? Who was a um, a guru in the uh, starting in the forties, fifties, um, mm -hmm. and. Um, he was the one who said, don't worry, be happy. Oh. And um, um, there were these little cards that his followers used to pass around. And um, he and Ramdas actually had some correspondence because he told Ramdas to stop taking uh, uh, psychedelics. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and Ramdas went ahead and did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But he also said, uh, there's a wonderful quote, which is, being is dying by loving. Being is dying by loving. And um, I think that, to me, it seems to be what's happening. And insofar as I uh, get any idea of what's going on. <laughs> which isn't much. Well, I, I guess there's no stronger note to end on than what you just expressed. So um, <laughs> I think I speak for the both of us when I say we really thank you for your time. And, it's really uh, good to talk with you guys. It's, um, 
uh, you know, the, this uh, idea of cultural interchange and, and bridge uh, is a reality. It's mm -hmm. really something that is uh, occurring in some, uh, you know, very uh, profound way now. And it's needed to, I think, you know, not just for uh, me or you, but to uh, um, save us from ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all in it together. That's the other, it seems to be the, <laughs> the yeah. very profound message. Absolutely. So, uh, Chogyam Trungpa used to say to his, uh, you know who he is? The, yeah. The, the, Cutting through spiritual materialism. Yeah. 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 When is uh, somebody would he part from his students, he would say, "Good luck, sir." <laughs> so, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thanks so much. Thank. No, thank, thank you very much. For more inspiring conversations like these, continue to listen to the Philosophy of Now podcast and check out rootsmedia.org for more self-reflective and introspective content. And again, check out Being Ramdas on Amazon.